welcome to the 16th episode of the Formula E Zone podcast. I'm Jack Jordan Mayner and we have a lot to discuss in this podcast ahead of the first race in Saudi Arabia this month. With me to go through testing and all the latest news is the one and only Tobias Bloom from Eform LD. You right, buddy? I'm all right. How about you? Yeah, it's been it's been a busy couple of weeks. Busy couple of weeks for Marie Wise. A lot of content to go through. A lot to discuss. A lot of few things changing. So yeah, I'm re- really looking forward to this episode. Ah, feels so good to be back on the podcast. Ah, oh, it's good. <laughs> oh, it's and great. as you say, there's been a lot going on. I mean, we had testing. We had liveries being presented. We had news. Finally, some stuff to talk about. I know, and we're now. Only 22 days. It feels like, I know it's like 100 days. I remember when I reset the timer on the website and you're like, oh, 110 days from <laughs> the end of New York to the start of Saudi Arabia. But we're now under a month, 22 days to go at the time of recording this. Hopefully it won't be only be a few days until it's actually out for you to listen to. But we, we're getting there now. We're, we're, we're here. Saudi Arabia is on the doorstep. So I think... The perfect place to start, though, was the three-day test that we had in Valencia. And I know, Tobias, you tell me, you've told me in many podcasts before, we can't <laughs> testing talk too doesn't much mean about a thing. It doesn't mean exactly, exactly. But <laughs> you have to agree with me here. If there's at least one thing that we have learned, that it is mighty close. Yeah. I mean, if we take one thing away from testing, it is close, yeah. Um I can only repeat, we shouldn't read too much into the lap times because Valencia has never been very good at representing actual car performance and actual race pace and actual qualifying pace and all of that. But if you just look at the times, 22 of 24 cars were within one second of each other. Um, So as I say, don't read too much into the times. But it's unbelievably close, at least in Valencia. We will have to wait and see what happens in in, in Deria. But at least in Spain, the field was mighty close. And what I also want to pick up on is obviously, that, as you said, 22 drivers within one second. But also five different constructors in the top five. You had BMW again leading the way with Gunther. Behindra were there, Dragon were there, and I want to talk about Dragon there with Nico Muller a bit later. And you had Antonio Felix Acosta and Mitch Evans. So, and they were covered by two tenths of a second. So, again, it's just it's just showing that it 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 could be anyone's game going into this season, and that's what I love. It could be anyone's game. I love it as well. Yeah, I have no idea who's who's best going into into Saudi. Um, BMW did look strong, but. They looked strong in 2018 as well, and I mean, they they won the first race. We're very lucky because DS, both DS drivers were penalised. Um, then should have won in Marrakesh, but after that they were, they were there or thereabout, but they weren't the top team that they were promising to be in in Valencia. Still this year, a new track lap, uh, track lap record, whatever the, the name for that thing is. Um, <laughs> Max Gunther uh, almost broke into the 114s uh, in Valencia. We haven't seen that last year. Um, so yeah, as I say, BMW did look very strong, but also Mahindra looked decent. Um, Jaguar, Nissan, a lot could be on the table for, for Diria, and as I said, I have no idea who's going to be 
the favorite in air quotes heading into into the season no idea no def- <laughs> definitely you don't know but you 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 think tech cheetah was still there and you Ooh, know yeah. if if not to do too much of a saudi arabia preview like early but you know they were strong last season at that track and you know maybe saudi arabia they got that little fast flowing section before a few little chicanes and then that long back straight you know so maybe that might suit their car quite well um but i still think that they could be the team to beat this season i you know with the costa now joining as well as Vern, that that lineup is scary i think for tech cheetah and you know but to be fair like the costa was fourth overall in the times two temps off Vern was only p11 but as you said like reading into that there's probably and he's only what he's four temps off the time and he's in p11 so he's still there like even down in P11. So you can't write Vern off or DeCosta at all. No, not at all. Um, we have to, of course, Diaz to Cheetah are team champions. And John Eric Vern is the driver's champion. And I'm sure Antonio Felix DeCosta didn't switch teams just to be the second driver and yeah, be the support for Jeff. He is keen to win. And so is Jeff. And... Oh, as usual, they're going to to push each other, and um, they're there to win. Uh, they're not there for for. They're not playing around. Um, they are going to be expecting to be one of the top teams again. Yeah, and I want to talk about Virgin now. Virgin mm. were with the Frimes and and Bird. They were the t- the leaders of the first couple of sessions, and just looking at the times there. You know, they they were fastest in the first day of testing and the second day of testing. But in the final, which is really interesting, like the majority of the fastest lap times were set either session five. So that's the morning session on the Friday or session six, which was the afternoon session on the Friday. But interestingly, Virgin didn't go quicker on those two days. I don't know if that's anything to go by. Their fastest time was set for Frines, who was an eighth overall. Uh, Only, again, eighth overall, but you know, just under three temps uh, slower than Gunford's time. But he set his on the afternoon session on the Wednesday in the third session. And Bird's time, who was in 13th, again, just a shy of under half a second away from Gunford's time, uh, was setting actually in the second session on the first day Sam Bird set his first time. So that's a bit interesting as well, I think. It is, but I wouldn't read too much into that again. <laughs> yeah, I know... Sorry it, to be the party pooper yeah, here. Yeah, it's, it's true, but I was just look. I was just looking at. It, I thought that's very interesting. I, I, I'm maybe Virgin went straight out from the guns and went and set their fastest times and went for it at the beginning, which makes sense if you're. And whereas other teams might have built up to the test sessions, but they're not slow, and you know they were there also in the race simulations that that were conducted during the test. So uh, you know, I've we're basically talking. We could talk about. <laughs> We could talk about eleven teams being technically title contenders, potentially. Maybe that's yeah. a bit of a stretch. Maybe eight, but you know, it's just, that's how close it is. But what I really want to talk about, and I mentioned it earlier, Nico Muller, third for Dragon, one tenth basically off the time. I know you'll say don't read too much time into testing, <laughs> but man, that was a performance. He's a good driver, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah. surprised as well by the performance of of Dragon because especially we've we've heard stories about Dragon uh, struggling with their season six powertrain development. Uh, from what I've heard, their powertrain 
reportedly is only a small development, a bit of an evolution from their season five powertrain. And theoretically, going by where they were in season five, they should be very slow compared to the, the Cheetahs and to the Audis. Um, we obviously don't know what testing programs the other teams did, um, but even if we don't go by the by the times and go by their distance, Dragon were the second best team in terms of how many laps they did. 457 in total. That's including uh, two test races. Uh, we saw two test races in, in Valencia. Only BMW um, did lap the circuit more times. BMW at 511 laps, and as I say, Dragon at 457, um, which isn't much. Uh, and it's important for them, obviously, to, to collect as many laps as possible. And um, even if we go away from the times, because we shouldn't read too much into the times, um, it's impressive how many laps Dragon were doing in, in Valencia. Um, it'll be interesting to see where they are going into into uh, Diria because, yeah, as I said, the circuit and the layout and yeah, the track is just completely different to what we've seen in, in Valencia. Um, but for now, though, Dragon looked very impressive and unexpectedly impressive. And I, I remember talking to you about this, but with Muller, though, and we know he's he's been part of the Audi factory team in terms of DTM, and he's tested the Formula E car. And we know Daniel Lapp, like, you know, going back, and I'm already speculating on driver moves. We haven't even started season six, but I'm already speculating <laughs> for season seven. You know, Daniel Lapp, we all love him in the Formula E paddock. He's, he's, he's amazing, and he's a quick driver, and he's not done a bad job. I think, you know, he's he's got to match. He did have a season where he sort of was matching Degrassi, but it's not been consistent. And I, he knows that as well as anyone. But him coming out and saying that he hadn't had a drive confirmed, you know, it was really late in the day that he carried on into season six with, um, with Audi. And you've got Nico Muller, who's effectively, from my understanding, maybe you might understand a bit more than me, but from my understanding, it's like, effectively he's still part of Audi but he's you know he's driving for Dragon a bit like with Brendan Hartley and Porsche in the other seat at Dragon like he tested the Porsche car didn't get the Porsche drive ahead of Andre Lodera but is still racing you know and could eventually if he did well Brendan Hartley could find himself in that Porsche drive but it could be the same with Muller without with um, Audi and I think going into the first couple of races of the season if there's a driver to pinpoint who could be under pressure it could be Daniel App uh, I agree. Yeah, uh, it's a bit different uh, between the situation. I mean, the situation with Muller and Audi is different to the situation with Hartley and Porsche because, as far as I'm concerned, uh, maybe someone in the comments uh, under the YouTube video or I don't know Twitter, wherever, uh, <laughs> maybe they might know a bit more. But as far as I'm concerned, Brendan still has a Porsche contract, but it will end at the end of December. Um, as opposed to Nico's Audi contract. He will be racing with them in DTM next year again, and hence might have a shot at the Audi FE seat. Um, and I agree, Daniel Abt now is under surveillance, and his performance will be closely monitored. Um, he will need a decent season once again, uh, just like he had in the second half of season four. Um, that's, I think, that would be enough for him. Um, but if he doesn't 
Uh, it's difficult to put into words. He will be monitored, and his performance will be monitored. And if he doesn't deliver like Alan McNish or anyone on the Audi Audi side uh, likes him to, he might or his seat might be in danger. But that's all speculation, and I mean, we should let them drive season six first yes, before speculating on season seven. But as you say, Nico Müller will be hoping to prove he's. But he deserves the Audi seat, and so will Daniel Abt. And, uh, yeah. Is it too early to be slightly concerned, though, for Audi? 16th and 17th in testing overall. Like, at least, I'm saying that because, you know, you're looking at them and they're both down there. At least with majority of the constructors, the other teams... You've got one driver sort of in the top ten, and another one or a bit one in the top ten, one a bit lower, one mid teens, and but one sixth or seventh. Whereas both Audi sixteenth and seventeenth, half a second off the pace. It's a close season, as I drop my pen. <laughs> uh, you know, is it too early to be worried? Do, do Audi go into the first race of the season thinking, you know, oh, are we behind? I think everyone's going into the first season asking where they are. I, I don't I don't think we should be concerned about Audi. Um we don't know which testing program they were running and they could just as well have finished in inside the top 5 because it's just very very close. Um I don't think they are worried about where they ended Valencia. Um we will only see the true performance of of the Audi powertrain after qualifying in in Deria. and we'll have to keep in mind that also Virgin runs Audi powertrains, and Virgin ended the Valencia test in eighth and thirteenth, I think. Yeah, um, yes. so they were better than P sixteen and seventeen. Um, we shouldn't read too much into where Audi ended Valencia and we might read something into their qualifying performance after the Saturday race in Deria um, but for now I, I'm not worried at all about where Audi are I think they'll again be one of the top I don't know five teams um, yeah let's not read too much into where Audi ended ended the Spain test I just think it's one to keep an eye on going into Saudi Arabia because when you look at those timesheets and you're like, it's one to like, ah, oh, can could Saudi Arabia confirm if Audi are actually off the pace or was it just a testing run? That's what they did their plan and they you know they settled. It didn't you know it shows straight away that it didn't matter because they go to Saudi Arabia and they qualify P3 and P7 or P2 and P5 and then you're yeah. like, okay, Audi, Audi are here. They're not. They're not. When we shouldn't be scared about them. But it was just interesting. I was like, oh, you know, that's that's a big team. Two big teams down there. And but again, though, talking about. I know we talk about positions, and I, I agree with you <laughs> in terms of that we shouldn't be worried and or shouldn't be concerned. But I think for Porsche and Mercedes, they wouldn't like to have finished nineteenth, twentieth, twenty-first, and twenty-second. Not in that <laughs> order. So, Lotterer was nineteenth for Porsche. Mercedes filled twenty and twenty-first. And Neil Yarny in the other Porsche in 22nd. You know, a second off the pace for um, Neil Yarny, around seven temps in total for Mercedes. And Lotterer did a good time, was only six temps um, behind. As I said, imagine that. It still it still amazes me that we're talking <laughs> 19th, the rear of the field, and we're like six, seven temps off. Yeah. But I don't think. 
would that would would Porsche or Mercedes be happy with that? Would they be going okay? Look, we're not miles away. I think that's what they're going to say. Yeah, uh, I don't think they they've been expecting to be one of the top teams uh, leaving Valencia. Um, it's just a matter of of learning how FE works, especially for Porsche. Um, I feel Mercedes could have done a bit better because they've they've had a year's experience, a year of experience with HWA. Um, but similar to Audi, uh, they also have a customer team, um, which is Venturi, and the Venturi drivers finished in 18th and 12th, um, while the works drivers finished in P20 and 21. Um, so they were mediocre. <laughs> um, they weren't great, um, especially looking at their laps. Um, 376 and 351 for both teams uh, around 200 laps less than BMW for example um, only Neo were worse uh, they had a lot of technical issues in, in Valencia um, so yeah the, the test was mediocre um, for them but I don't think they were expecting to be one of the top teams either um, it's just yeah. a matter of giving them time I think and I, um, I, I think yeah. so too I think so too. Like in in the press conference, um, both team principals were saying that you know we want to you know push and try and at least try and challenge for a podium at some yeah. point this season. I think they both know that if they were to get eighth, ninth, tenth, you know the bottom end of the points this season, I think they've done a good job. I think they'll be satisfied with that um, at the early stages. I you know I think that's we was expected we weren't i was for sure for one not expecting mercedes and porsche to be topping the timesheets uh i was expecting them to be about half a second off maybe a bit more they are maybe a touch more off the pace so far from what we've seen on a non-representative track as as we've said but um segueing into neo which you sort of mentioned there <laughs> with the problems the only team not in within a second and Oliver Turvey we know how strong he is 1.4 seconds off the pace and then marching while uh, nearly two seconds off the pace I think you've got to be worried for Nier I think you know we haven't had I don't think we've had we haven't had a Formula E season where a team has failed to score points even I think I'm pretty sure Nier managed to pick up some points last season I think it was seven in total uh, Turvey picking them up mm-hmm. but yeah um, this could be a season where they where they don't finish in the points. Oof. Difficult to tell. I mean, we have to keep in mind there are two more cars on the grid. So from that perspective, yes, maybe. Um, but there's also so much luck involved. It's not just car performance, it's also luck. And you don't score a point without just a slight bit of luck. Let it be in qualifying, uh, crashes, safety cars something bringing you forward you always need a bit of luck and uh, we shouldn't rule out neo at this stage i think um still they didn't look too happy leaving valencia um the car looks nice um, but apart from that there's there are not too many positives sadly um i hope their standing will improve um come diria or some at some point halfway through the season um yeah, but for now, though, Neo, yeah, I'm a bit worried about them as well. But let's just wait how... Yeah, it's, it, it's yeah, a shame because Formula really hasn't had a true backmarker team. I suppose you can say you've had teams that are towards the rear, 
with possibly Venturi, Neo, and Dragon at yeah. you know last couple Those of three, seasons. Yeah. But even even like Venturi can crop up and they they, they won a race last season. But, <laughs> yeah, they you did. You know, um, and a second podium as well. Yeah. So with Massa in Monaco, and mm-hmm. uh, but you know, just touching very quickly on Venturi. They're probably exactly where where we expect them to be in terms of 12th and 18th. Like, you know, bang on. I think they were bang on the money. I think that's probably where they they did be. They'd probably be fine outside the points, trying to get into that lower end of the points. And I think they'll be in an intense battle with Mercedes and Porsche at the beginning of the season. And it'll be interesting to see. Like, they've become a customer team. They've been a you know a manufactured status team for the first five seasons, and they've gone to a customer team. I think that makes sense. It's the exact same as why Virgin, um, obviously they had DS, but you know when they lost the DS status, they were like, we're not going to make our own powertrain, which is probably why we're worried about Dragon. And you know we've speculated that maybe they should go uh, Dragon, that is, to to have a manufactured status behind them, because obviously it's, it costs money themselves um, creating and developing a powertrain, maybe buying one from a manufacturer who might be more interested in developing road cars might be more beneficial in the future for Dragon. Hmm. But, you know, I think Venturi, I think they're bang on the money. It'd be interesting to see how they develop this season. Yeah. Just because you briefly touched on, on the Dragon powertrain, we'll have to add that Neo is running the Season 5 Dragon powertrain. Oh, so yes, Dragon is running true. their Season 5 version 2.0 powertrain, kind yeah. of development for Season 6, but Neo is running the Season 5 Dragon uh, motor and inverter, I think, but their own yes. gearbox. So Neo technically still is a manufacturer in their own right, um, but they are using Dragon's Season 5 technology uh, in terms of the motor and inverter. And Dragon weren't great, as I said earlier, yeah, uh, last season. Um, add to that lots of political stuff behind the scenes going on at Neo. A lot of restructuring has been going on in these last few months with yeah, the new with the team change. ownership, a new team principal, uh, just generally new personnel. Uh, there are a lot of Mahindra people now moving over to Neo because Mahindra has parted ways with Campos, uh, Campos Racing, the... the are they a Formula 2 team or a Formula 3 team? They were definitely Formula 2 for a while. Yeah. No, they are the orange cars. So they're still Jack Aiken's car. <laughs> <at Campos Racing. laughs> okay, good. Yeah, I mean, so they're, they're a lot of political stuff just generally going on behind the scenes at Neo. Uh, and with new owners, they'll have to, yeah, find a way to just get to grips again and focus themselves on, on the job ahead. And it's difficult to do that having the old technology from last year in 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 the rear of, of their cars <sighs> yeah yeah it's, it's a shame it's a shame for neo because last season it felt like okay it's gonna be a rebuild year for season six and try and get back but then with all the yeah. drama that's happened behind the scenes it feels like they're gonna have this season to now try and rebuild ready for season seven now, it's horrible to write them off already but yeah. nothing nothing and we shouldn't do that we shouldn't write yeah. them off just yet but um, nothing, yeah. nothing at the moment shows you that they're going to be a significant force this season. Yeah, but I'm I'm happy to be surprised by them, and I'm happy to see them competing for podiums. Why not? <laughs> oh, I would be happy to. The more teams competing for podiums, the better. Like going into going into a race weekend, and you don't even know who the back marker team who's going to be on the back row of the grid in qualifying would be immense. Exactly. Yeah. But. 
you know, it's just so far maybe not so good for Neo. Right, I think I think we've covered testing pretty comprehensively there, Tobias. I want to move on because there's a lot of we talk about political issues, and we're not a political podcast, and I'm not we're not going to get into them. But Formula E cost Hong Kong. Hong Kong isn't on the calendar this season, basically because of the civil unrest, which I'm sure most people are aware of in the news. So we, we lost Hong Kong, but Marrakesh came in, which we were expecting Marrakesh on the December 15th type, but that's been cold and it's sort of taken the Hong Kong spot. But that means we had the race in Saudi Arabia, but then in November 22nd and 23rd, but that, that left a massive gap then to Santiago in the middle of January. But now Chile, again, there's been some serious protests in Santiago, um, the protests have been pretty much about inequality, but again, I'm not going to go too much into it. <laughs> but that's round two of the championship, and that's three months away now. Okay, and there's these protests that are going on. It'd be interesting, you know, Formula E are starting to feel a bit more confident that the race will actually go ahead and everything will be okay by the time we get to Santiago. But if there is further protests, Formula E are in a really situa- a bad situation where they might have to call off that race, have no time to put anything in there, unless Punta del Este is, you know, Formula E's <laughs> backup track, and if anything goes wrong, just chunk, chuck Punta del Este in there. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, Formula E could go from racing in November to then not having a race till February, and basically going for another off-season space between the first and second races. Yeah, that that'd be terrible. <laughs> um, it's already eight weeks between Diria and Chile, and uh, it's it's difficult to put into words. Just like Hong Kong, Chile and Santiago, especially, just has better things to worry about than a sporting event right now. Um, the civil disturbances are a priority for the country and for for the, the government, and yeah. Formery is not not a thing they worry about right now. Having said that, the COP25 World Climate Summit, uh, which was supposed to be hosted by Santiago in early December, has been called off. And that's in two months' time. And if we think another month ahead, that's when the FE race was supposed to happen. As of right now, the uh, FE race is scheduled for the 18th of January. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> we have to wait and see. Um, Chile has better things to worry about. Um, and the uh, the local promoter and FE still are confident that the race will go ahead. Uh, and we'll have to underline that. They are still confident. And the te- it's it's been communicated to the teams last week that FE still is confident that the Santiago E-Prix will go ahead. But if it doesn't, and if the protests turn out to be longer term, um, yeah, we'll have a 12-week gap between the season opening race weekend in Saudi and the next race in Mexico on 15th of February, which would be terrible for, for... the teams and the marketing departments and for us journalists looking for stories because we have a, just this excitement building i mean we've we've been talking about it at the beginning of this episode it's just three weeks until we're we're green in, in deria and then i was supposed we've to be waiting for 12 break. yeah <laughs> for 12 more weeks until we're back in in mexico <sighs> I'm, I'm i'm hoping it all 
comes to a peaceful and friendly solution and that things in Chile calm down and as I say they have more important things to worry about right now than than FE um, but if all goes well we don't have to scrap the Santiago round um, you briefly touched on, on Punta del Este maybe jumping in I think it's a bit short notice this time around. We've seen the Sao Paulo Ypres in Brazil being scrapped in December of 2017, and the race was supposed to be happening in March 2018, so they had about three months. And it's pretty much this week or the next one um, for for the logistics department of FE. Uh, they they n- must know about whether the race is going ahead or not in these next few weeks. Um, and if they're going uh, to be shipping their, their freight to either Chile or Uruguay, um, I feel it's a bit short notice to find a replacement. And that would create this awful 12-week gap between Saudi and Chile. <sighs> Let's yeah, just hope you, for the best. You're right. Formula E will know. There will be news about it within the next two weeks because... In terms of the shipping after Saudi Arabia, it needs to know where it's going. Yep. So, you know, they they're not going to wait around, and and not ship the stuff off because then it won't get there in time. So they need to know where it's going. So, you know, I reckon by the time we get to Saudi Arabia or the week before the race in Saudi Arabia, we might know something might will have to happen. Something will have to be said because you know people need to know where the freight's going. If it's not going to Santiago, then there's no point shipping it to Santiago to then ship it to Mexico without actually going to racing in Santiago. That's just, it's not, it's not climate friendly and that's not what Formula E want. So therefore, I think a decision for that has to be made. But what I want to move on to is just talk about the calendar in general, because we, we, it's obviously been a bit difficult. And obviously with WEC becoming a sort of a winter series as well, there's a more... (laughs) opportunities for clashes which you know for these two series can't and as sad as it is it did actually cost Sam Bird his drive at Ferrari at the AF Corsa so you know it is affecting technically drivers salaries I know they're on a lot of money in some regard but maybe not as much as like Formula One drivers and so forth but you know there's still income so and Sam Bird had to give that up because of the clashes there's so many clashes this season so it is a problem but what I was thinking was should Formula E maybe scrap the idea of an 18, 19, 20, 21, starting in November, December, and then carrying on? Maybe should they just really, I think for Formula E, they should focus on the months where there isn't that much racing going on. Everyone is focused. And obviously with Formula One, you know, even talk about having 25 races in the future, which seems crazy. But even if they were to increase, obviously it's 22 races next season. So March to December. So I think between January and February, Formula E needs to get at least three races in to really drum up interest and drum up following for the championship. Because when you have one race a month or you start in November, you don't race till January. As I said, even without the, even without Santiago possibly being called off, it's an eight-week period. I feel for a start of a season to have an eight-week gap between the first and second races it's probably too long I know that's why they wanted a race in December but you know with the December slot disappearing I still think that's too long of a gap it is yeah and thinking back to the 2015-16 season which was the second year of FA we had just that the season began at the end of October we had a race in November December 
then a one-month gap and uh, continued with uh, Buenos Aires in early February. We had Mexico in early to mid-March and then the F1 calendar started up and we had both seasons and both series running at the same time. Now it just seems we have a race before the F1 season ends. Uh, Saudi Arabia is the weekend before the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. And then there's this eight-month gap to Chile, uh, which should be the first race weekend in all of 2020, unless the Daytona 24-hours races before that. Um there's another race in Mexico in February, but then it's pretty much maybe Morocco as well, 29th of February. But apart from that, th- th- <laughs> it's just pretty much the same part of the year that F1 also occupies. And in the early years of FE, that really was their, s- their big selling point. Not a unique selling point, but it was good that FE started late in the year and then attracted fans from F1 who just were frothing for something to watch. And, um, yeah, now they pretty much just run parallel seasons. Um, it should, be, it could be a thing uh, that FE wants to go back to. Um, so either, yeah, they, they, they have to make a choice. Either go back to their Season 2 model or, and Season 1 model of starting, I don't know, in October, and yeah. then... Yeah, finishing their their season in June, July, uh, just like we are right now, or move the entire season into the new year and just have a twenty twenty or I don't know when in the future that might happen twenty twenty three season. Oh, I don't I know. I think from yeah. a marketing perspective, though, with having Porsche and Mercedes, like they have banged on about Porsche and Mercedes joining the series ever since the day. They signed on that dotted line. And this is the season now. It's been two years in the making. And the season comes across. And you want people to be energised. You want people to be watching Formula E. Because you've got these gigantic manufacturers battling it out. So you want some form of consistent racing, I feel. And I feel like to get that, you needed to take advantage of these off-season months with other motorsport Sports and then really dramatize. Yeah, I know it's Formula E. I know it's got all these controversies. It's electric, but hey, it's got Mercedes. It's got Porsche. It's got Audi. <laughs> it's got Jaguar. It's got this. You know. It's got good close and, racing. And and it's got <laughs> close racing. And really, just jump on that bandwagon and say, you know what? I because obviously I'm talking not to the people who are uh, who don't like Formula E, but for Formula E, they need to talk to those people and say. You know, I know you might not like electric cars because they don't make a sound or they're not as loud as modern petrol hybrid engines. So, but at the same time, look who we have. It's not like, and look at the drivers we've got. You know, it's not, Formula E has become a really good series in terms of the drivers calibrate, you know, having, getting to Nick DeFries, I think is a massive steal um, for Mercedes. And I think that could be a way that, F2, F3 drivers will be looking more seriously at, at, at Formula E as a, as a career prospect now. I knew it would happen, but I think Nick De Vries might start that transition. And that's what I'm hoping for, because yes, we have a lot of um, ex 
but I suppose I'm answering my own question and let me just segue <laughs> into what I was just my brain just thought of currently Formula E people say oh it's just full of ex-Formula 1 wash-up drivers who couldn't make it Vern Massa well Massa wasn't wash-up but you know it's just a retirement home um, you know Bawemi Hartley you know Whereas you could then say, Tobias, I don't know what you think, um, if you agree with this, it then if you start attracting the Nick the Freeze of this world, uh, maybe the Jack Akins, um, the Markaloffs, do you then could Formula E then start being branded as the the drivers that never made it or couldn't make it series? Hmm. It's diff huh. That's the question of which is the supreme series, and I don't think Effie <laughs> does. Effie want to be bigger than F one. I don't think it does, honestly. Hmm. But you, you're going to hear it, right? Uh, we're Formula E fans, like we're Formula E fans. But there are tons of people who just and I under and I, we accept that we understand that Formula E isn't the normal convention of racing. It's electric. Yes, it's the way forward, and yes. I feel like people need to start embracing electric cars a bit more. And I think people are. I think there is a start of a trend to that. But there are always going to be people. And I don't think Formula E ever will. You know, Formula One, I think, are doing everything they can to remain the pinnacle most squad and to make Formula One better. And, you know, obviously their rules came out a couple of days ago. I'm excited for 2021 for Formula One as a, as a motorsport fan. I think, you know, I've got my fingers crossed that it does solve some of the solutions. But you're still going to have that select in 2021 of Formula One fans who will look at Formula E not as the enemy, but just as a another series where, you know, they either, like but they say drivers are they they it's just a it's just the drivers that never made it series or it's just a washed up F1 driver series. That's, it'll still be there, but I'm just if we attract more young drivers and maybe the young drivers who don't make it into Formula One for X reason. You know, start filtering into Formula E, which happened. Oliver Rowland, I think, could have easily made it into Formula One, but you know, money, <laughs> and he's in Formula E. Nick De Vries, F2 champion, should probably be in Formula One next season, but he's in Formula E. So I don't think that counts as a as a driver that's, that hasn't made it, if that makes sense. So, but maybe if more FE winners and F, I mean F2 winners and runners up and third places start coming to Formula E maybe you can't call it that but if you're getting midfield Formula 2 drivers coming into Formula E that can't make it then maybe you might I'm creating my own conundrums here <laughs> it, it's difficult to, to say because uh, it, it's especially difficult to compare these two series it's the thing it, it's still about driving in circles as fast as you can uh, both in FE and in F1 but there are different sort of requirements in F1 you just have to be talented and quick enough while in FE you also need brains um, you still of course <laughs> you have an advantage if you're a clever driver in F1 um, but the advantage of, of driving more consciously if that makes sense it's bigger in fe um so i i never understood people saying that fe is f1's graveyard 
in a way that's true because a lot of FE drivers are former F1 drivers. Um, but the requirements for but, but saying graveyard always implies formerly is uh, what's the opposite of superior? Uh, inferior. Inferior, yeah, that's right. Uh, so that always implied formerly is inferior to F1, which isn't the case because you still need to be right up there and you have to be mentally, I think, I don't know, more fit than an F1. Um, so in a way, yes, a lot of Formula F1 drivers move to FE, but I think they've very quickly found out, just to ask Felipe Massa about it, that it's not just driving, but it's driving while doing mental arithmetics and everything. Um, yeah, I don't know if FE is ever going to be uh, comparable to F1 uh, in that sense. Um, but certainly having drivers like Nick switch from F2 to FE helps the image of Formery and helps Formery moving away from the stereotype of it being the series for the drivers that just weren't quite good enough for F1. Because we all know Nick DeFries would have been an amazing F1 driver. And he still might end up as a good F1 driver. Um, but for now, it'll help FE if drivers like Nick DeFries prioritize Formula E over another Formula E 2 season. Yeah, I don't even know how we go on to this subject. It's just, <laughs> it's just what my brain my brain just went into some sort of comparison. But I feel like it's always there, the comparison between Formula 1 and FE. And I think for whatever reason, when I was talking about the calendar and trying to shift it, it just popped up into my head about and drivers, you know, jumping seats and so forth. Um, I think it's an interesting debate and it's an interesting question. But it just, I think Formula E will attract younger drivers because they will see that as a good career prospect now because of the amount of manufacturers that are in it. It's not a series that a young driver can go, oh, look, I can become a works Mercedes driver. I can become a works Jaguar driver. I can become a works Audi driver. And that can lead to this opportunity, that opportunity, that opportunity. And I can have a, a range of a racing portfolio rather than just being at the top, which I know everyone wants to do in terms of just getting to Formula One, which is every kid's dream and every young driver's dream that are in F2 and GP3. But when they it comes to a point where they still want to build a career for themselves and maybe F1's out the window. So, you know, I think it's an interesting debate and it'll be interesting to see if more young drivers do start coming across and, you know, what people start saying about Formula E because it'd be interesting. Maybe, maybe I'm, you know, my predictions, my assumptions are wrong and maybe people might think that's great and there won't be that sort of, oh, it's just some, it's just the kids that couldn't make it series. You know, maybe they think, oh, it's a series that's, you know, challenging up all the budding young talent which could be amazing and and you know it could be fantastic for Formula E and maybe people won't see it like that but I think we should move on um so there's not too much really to talk about left in terms of news so we just wrap up last couple of bits um future races so as we were talking about the calendar and then we sort of shifted off <laughs> back to the calendar um Brazil Japan the new Formula E CEO, James, is Redgate. Um, talk about Brazil and Japan still being the focus for Formula E. And Tobias, 
How many times have we heard that over the past three years? I don't know, 20, 30? <laughs> Way too many times. Uh, but it's it's an open secret that that FE really, 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 really wants to go to Japan and Brazil. Uh, it's good that Jamie, however his last name is pronounced, um, I think it's Rigel, Um but I'm I'm not... I, I I can get I can get it I I had it in my head it's in my notes somewhere I'll just go and um I just go and retrieve it okay good uh, it um, is yeah no but it's it's Rigel. good that that Jamie R uh, is um is, is is a fan of the uh, yeah the, uh, I call him James Jamie as well. you are right um yeah and I mean we've been very close to it um I remember a story in season three when F the only thing that stopped FE from racing in Japan was the police being very restrictive uh, in the way of them um, yeah, b blocking the streets and traffic disturbances and management and all of that. Uh, we had a show run in Japan in Tokyo Japan, a couple of years ago. I think it was Tech Cheetah and Mark Preston went and it was Yamamoto, I believe, who drove the car. Or might have been, it might have been the Aguri team. I don't really? know. I can't remember. I yeah, mean, I definitely, I've definitely, definitely a Japanese driver that drove it, and I know Mark Preston went to that demo run in Tokyo. Ooh. Um, okay. I just can't. I, I'm, I'm sure it was Tech Cheetah the first year season three, um, it, but it might have been the end of season two, and it might have been the Aguri before he went. I so only Yamamoto did drive the Aguri in season two. I only recall Lucas Degrassi having a show run in in Tokyo. Uh, in his Audi up it might have been the same it might have been the same test run to be fair and I just yeah. remember Mark Preston and because <laughs> I do remember Lucas Degrassi doing a street run as a demo run that might have been in Tokyo yeah yeah so anyway uh, Japan and Brazil have always <laughs> been on on the on the list of FE's Brazil's been on FE's list since the inaugural calendar back from Rio yeah. de Janeiro yeah so you know it's six seven years now in the making for Brazil to try and get into it. But um, Brazil also has haven't. political support this time around. Um, yes. There is the, I think, governor of Sao Paulo, who coincidentally is the cousin of the Brazilian president. And said cousin is working very closely with ex-Jaguar driver Nelson Piquet Jr. And the two of them are kind of organizing a race in uh, Jarama? No, not Jarama. Uh, somewhere uh, 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 near the Copacabana coast. And um, there is a circuit layout floating around in Brazilian media. Um, it seems... In that park? I don't know if that's still the case. Yeah, if he was supposed to be racing in season four in, in Sao Paulo, remember... Uh, on the same circuit that IndyCar once used, but it's now supposed to be a different layout. Oh, I don't know. Um, but apparently FE is still wanting to race in both Japan and Brazil, and I feel these two countries are really still missing on on the hit list of Formula E. Formula yeah, e. I um, think. I think. Especially Japan. I feel, yeah. If there was one, I'd rather have over the other. It's a bit harsh to say, but hmm. um. Japan sounds much. It just I don't know. There's something about Japan, and obviously with the Rugby World Cup that's going on there, and and stuff like that. Um, Olympic Games 2024, just, I think, happening in Japan as well. Yep, and you've got the Olympics there next year. 
Was um, it next year? Yep, 2020. Ah, you're right. 2024 is Paris, right? I think. Yeah, 24 is Paris. Yeah, 2020 good. Tokyo. Um, so, and but interesting here, like Yokohama has come up as a thing that um, uh, as being possibly discussed for uh, Formula E as well as well as Tokyo. So maybe if we can't do Tokyo, could we do it in Yokohama? Um, so that sounds interesting because obviously Tokyo is such a big city maybe like London it's just really hard to find a place in Tokyo to do a race like so maybe maybe Yokohama there might be more opportunities there still a big city but maybe not as big as Tokyo so you know something might something maybe there and it's not too far from Tokyo which is not too bad either Yokohama would be nice for Nissan as well yeah and obviously yeah Nissan home team um so yeah we'll see i think there's still obviously like chikata didn't really come out of nowhere but sort of did um to be on the season six calendar obviously there was a lot of talk about chikata over the last year or so but and and Seoul has always also been again didn't come out of nowhere but formula e have really focused on the asian um continent in terms of trying to get into major asian cities and obviously shanghai is still still in china that they're still trying to work on as well so it'll be interesting to see what cities they come on but as i said we we keep talking about this and i suppose the only thing to add to this conversation is how many races is enough like we're talking hmm. formula one crazy in terms of you know the maximum limit can be 25 like there's so many huge cities in this world and and there's so many huge markets that formula e could go to obviously china japan huge markets russia huge market america europe there's so many amazing cities that formula e could go to like how many sh you know should formula e maybe be eyeing up like 17 18 races a season you know should that become a goal like rather than this 14 13 15 odd races that we've got right now um you know should formula e maybe start thinking okay we need to move forward but does that affect the cost as i said there's a massive argument to have with it because you move forward but then it's the costs of actually having those extra races i think it's a thing that will just happen naturally um we have 12 we have 14 races on the calendar but in 12 cities because obviously we have a double header in saudi and in london um so 14 races in 12 cities and i think we can easily extend that to i don't know 16 cities um but as you say the, the cost factor is important to keep in mind and the family factor as well um because that's the argument in f1 isn't it the families yes. of of mechanics and drivers and team officials just that their family life and the journalists families lives suffering because they're just always on the road um i think 12 races is okay i feel like there could be a few more but i might be biased because i like watching fe races um, <laughs> um yeah but anyway um i think it'll happen naturally that we will see a few more destinations on the Formula E calendar in these next few years. Um, but as long as we don't enter F1 spheres with 
22 destinations or 25 destinations as made possible by the new 2021 regulations um uh, that's okay um it'll happen naturally um i think we might end up with i don't know 16 maybe 20 races in 16 destinations how about that sounds sounds okay to me yeah that's that's i was gonna i was gonna say something to you actually which my brain was thinking i love how sometimes my brain just works in these podcasts it just comes up with (laughs) random ideas but i'm not saying in the next year or two but maybe in the future maybe 10 seasons in do you think formula might have grown enough that we might have like say 15 Let's say fifteen or sixteen cities, but we have thirty-two races because they're all double headers. They're Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, Do you think that could be something that would be quite cool, or would be Formula might think? You know, because obviously we have some races are two days events, and it depends on where Formula Formula we go. Like for example, Berlin. I think Berlin could be a double. There's no reason why Berlin, for example, isn't a double header each race. Um, and London, it makes sense. Santiago in the park, it was wide enough; it could have worked. I think there's some distance. Obviously, Saudi Arabia really wanted a double header, and if a if a city wants to do a double header, then I think we shouldn't stop doing a double header. If that makes sense, um, maybe not all of them, but do you see maybe in the future that Formula E do more double headers in cities? A few more, but not massively more double headers i think having two races on a weekend takes away a bit of excitement and you always when you're watching the saturday race you're always thinking of well this result isn't the final result of the weekend because there's another race happening tomorrow and i think that maybe takes away a bit of excitement i think the season finale should be a double header um, because that coincidentally brings a lot of excitement having two races in london and the championship, the championship open. yeah that's right it keeps the championship open um but uh, having a double header in in sanya i don't i don't see the point in having that because it just okay. takes away the excitement plus you can leave earlier from there i get, I get that point <laughs> i get that point i understand that because you know i it's just as i said i love how my brain works sometimes it's just random thoughts just pop up into my head but at the same time I was. I think you're right. I think a double header to kickstart the season's fun at Saudi Arabia because you really want the season to kick off. You don't just have the one race and oh, it's just a race order. Like there can be a little bit of a mix up in the championship. It brings drivers a bit closer, so you get a bit to work out a bit more how maybe this, how the season might go. Um, maybe a double header in the middle somewhere. Maybe one. I think as I said, Berlin looks like a really ideal place for it simply because. It's in an airfield, and, and and maybe yeah, maybe just the one then to end the season to keep the championship open, to drum up that excitement. I think maybe that's a bit more reasonable than having obviously won every race. I just thought for a second, imagine if we had a double header at every race. But then, um, as you said, yeah, you're right. The excitement, you know, you have to wait till Sunday to see how everything. The Saturday race is not irrelevant. But you're not leaving the Saturday race thinking, how does that affect the championship? Because it can all change tomorrow. Yep. On the following day. And it, I think it also affects the the atmosphere in the crowd. 
and just like us journalists leaving the track on Saturday thinking, well, we'll be back tomorrow and tomorrow we will know how all things end. The same yeah. will apply to, to the fans. And that's always been one of Formerie's key selling points. The one day event, everything happening in one day. And that will still be true with a double header. But there'll be more on the second day still. <laughs> Difficult to put into words, but I think you know where I'm aiming at. Yeah, I know what you're trying to. Um, I know yeah. what you're trying to get. It, it takes away some of the excitement of having this one-day format where everything has to come together. Um, yeah, I think it's it's better to keep double headers a rare thing in FE. Yeah. Now that I've given it some thought and my brain's actually processed it, I'm like, I agree with you. <laughs> Um, so yeah I think that's a perfect way to end the podcast actually I think we've come to a pretty natural close there so um, thank you so much Tobias for coming on uh, again oh thanks for having uh, me lovely as always lovely as always thank you for listening <laughs> thank you for the continuous support uh, I've been really amazed by the support on just on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts and the support that we're getting on there obviously on YouTube and on Twitter and how everyone is really liking the podcast if you've all as i said we're always open if any improvements if anything you'd like us to to do or want just to see just comment tell us we really think this would be amazing and we would look at that and definitely try and see if we can fit that in in some way remember to subscribe smash that like button always get those plugs in uh if you're on youtube or oh, to be fair or even on apple Podcasts and google Podcasts, hit that subscribe button it really helps thank you so much for listening and we will see you after Saudi Arabia for the next podcast, probably. So we will see you after the first round of the season. Bye-bye.